Dialogues. My name is Janet Delgado from the University of Granada, Department of Philosophy One, and I am part of the Work Package Two uh, Ethics and Governance team for the TTV Guide Transplant Project. I will be moderating this discussion, um, which will be recorded and made available online. Today, we are going to be exploring the most recent research development considerations and effective approaches for integrating sex and gender uh, into medical research. Before we dive in, um, I want to let you know that this session is a collaborative effort between BBM AI Eric's LC team and TTV Guide Transplant, a project funded by European Union Horizon 2020 Research an innovation program. The goal of the TTV Guide Transplant is to establish a tool to guide immunosuppression by quantifying the activity of the torquetenovirus uh, TTV in kidney transplant recipients. Within a randomized control clinical trial, including hundreds of kidney transplant recipients from all over Europe, TTV-guided dosing of immunosuppressive drugs is being tested. Once established in routine clinical care, the hope is that TTV guidance will reduce infections and kidney transplant rejection. Visit ttvguide.eu, that is ttv-uide.eu for more information. As part of the project, the Work Package 2 wants to promote best practices in the inclusion inclusion of sex and gender in clinical research. And that is why this collaboration with BBM AI LC team was established for co-organizing this session of LC Dialogues. Now let's begin. The medical community is moving on a path towards more personalized and effective medical treatment and therapies for everyone. In doing so, it is crucial to integrate sex and gender into research, as it has the potential to fuel structural and systematic change. For example, considering gender factors such as social, cultural, and economic influences can help address health disparities and improve health outcomes for all individuals. Today, we will explore how providing the research community with the resources and information needed to include sex and gender factors into their work will result in more inclusive and impactful results. We will be examining this topic from the perspective of researchers and healthcare professionals, and we will discuss subject area, including artificial intelligence applications and nephrology. Guiding our webinar on these topics on this topic are experts from BBM RI, Eric. Melanie Goisov is a senior scientist and a member of the LC team. She is involved in several research projects and leads BBM RI Ethics of Artificial Intelligence Lab. Uh, her research focus is on ethical, social, and societal aspects of biobanking, in particular on governance and stakeholder engagement, as well as gender, knowledge production, and artificial intelligence. Monica Cano Abadia holds various roles at BBM RI. In addition to being a senior scientist, Monica is the deputy head of the LC Research Department, and she is the gender equality and diversity specialist. Her research focus is the analysis of ethical and societal aspects of artificial intelligence in medicine, especially concerning matters of trustworthiness. Welcome to the webinar, everyone, and thank you for giving your time and expertise on this important topic. Please uh, use the chat box to write your questions. I will read them on your behalf once the session finishes. Thank you, everyone, for coming here with us today. We are very happy to be presenting this webinar on the incorporation of sex and gender in medical research. Uh, next slide, please. 
first um as uh, Janet, uh, who kindly invited us for this webinar today in this collaboration, said before uh, we work at the LC Services and Research Department at BBMRI ERIC, and we do research, we provide services, and we also do training uh, such as this webinar. So we use the knowledge that we gain in research projects to provide training, and we are yeah. very happy to be here with this one today. Uh, next slide, please. The contents, some of the contents of this webinar today uh, stem from another collaboration that we were uh, lucky enough to have a few months ago with the Barcelona Supercomputing Center and the, within the project EOS Clive, we organized this uh, train the trainer that was called Integrating the Sex and Gender Dimension in Life Sciences Research. And through this collaboration, we um, uh, we produced a handbook, which will be made available online very soon. We are still in the making, but uh, very soon, uh, if you stay tuned, we will circulate a link with the handbook. And this handbook provides yeah, tools and guidance on... Um, basically the didactics of how uh, uh, teaching how to integrate the sex and gender dimension in the life sciences research. So some of the contents that we will present here today, uh, especially the beginning of this webinar, will also um, uh, be available in this handbook. Next slide, please. So into the topic already. Um, when it comes to the definitions of sex and gender, health experts frequently use these terms, sex and gender, interchangeably. For example, in one of the papers that we will present later, that it's a literature review on, that aims at understanding the use of sex and gender in the field of transplant research, uh, they state that the terms sex and gender were applied interchangeably in more than half of the studies that they analyzed. Nonetheless, academics and policymakers that support the inclusion of sex and or gender in health encourage people to draw distinctions between the two because it is there are analytical distinctions that are very important in the field. When it comes to definition and gender, we can have a look at this uh, definition that uh, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research has issued, um, which I consider is pretty complete, although about gender you can write. And, and in fact, there's a lot of <laughs> research done on just the definition of gender, but we can have a look at this one right now. So gender refers to the socially constructed roles, behaviors, expressions, and identities of girls, women, boys, men, and gender diverse people. It influences how people perceive themselves and each other, how they act and interact, and the distribution of power and resources in society. Gender identity is not confined to a binary, girl, woman on the one hand and boy, man on the other hand, nor it is static. It exists along a continuum and can change over time. There is a considerable diversity in how individuals and groups understand, experience and express gender through the roles they take on. So gender underpins social roles in the home, in the workplace, in political and religious arenas. And it is thus multidimensional and complex and may include women, men, and non-binary people. Next slide, please. When it comes to sex, we can have a look at the definition by this, by the same uh, institution which states that sex refers to a set of biological attributes in humans and animals. It is primarily associated with physical and physiological features, including chromosomes, gene expression, hormone levels and function, and reproductive slash, slash uh, sexual anatomy. Sex is usually categorized as female or male, but there is a variation, as we will see later, in the biological attributes that comprise sex and how these attributes are expressed. So it is also something that, as we see, is quite complex and quite multidimensional. Next slide, please. So why do these definitions matter? 
here we have uh, an example of an institution that uh, that has aimed at integrating a more complex uh, definition of sex and gender, and they stated in 2018 in their policies to affirm that the medical spectrum of sex and gender, um, they state, sex and gender are more complex than previously assumed. It is essential to acknowledge that an individual's gender identity may not align with the sex assigned to them at birth. For example, uh, women does not necessarily align with female attributes and men does not uh, necessarily align with male attributes. A narrow limit of the definition of sex would have public health consequences for the transgender population and individuals born with differences in, sex, in sexual differentiation, also known as intersex traits. Also, the European Commission has announced in 2020, in late 2020, that um, their uh, research grant recipients need to incorporate analysis that uh, include sex and gender dimensions in their study design. It is compulsory from 2020. And these can include disaggregating data by sex when examining, for example, sales, or also considering how a technology might perpetuate uh, gender stereotypes. Um, another example is, for example, the one of the leading medical journals, The Lancet, also has updated their author guidelines very recently, encouraging the enrollment of women and ethnic groups into clinical trials and to analyze the data accordingly, considering the influences and associations of sex and gender. So there is also an institutional um, institutional um, um, atmosphere that is fostering this integration of sex and gender in research, in medical research. Next slide. The complexity of uh, sex and gender is one of the aspects that complicates the integration of sex and gender in medicine. Um, usually the um, the category of sex that refers to anatomical features has been presented within a binary uh, understanding of sex. Nonetheless, um, there is also um, individuals that um, that prove that this sex binary is an oversimplification of integrate biological and physiological variation that are observed in human beings. Um, there exists a possibility of uh, intersex individual who possess diverse anatomical features or exhibit chromosomal, chromosomal variations. So the, um, these binary classifications often fail to accommodate the vast spectrum of gender identities and there's um, an aim to integrate a broad and diverse um, consideration of the category of sex in medical research. In this sense, we have um, we invite you to watch uh, a webinar that we organized last year on the complexity of sex determination with Amanda Montañez, who uh, created this amazing um, infographic on the complexity of sex determination. Next slide, which is very big, very complex, and very informative. And um, she explains in the webinar the process of generation of this, um, of research and generation of this uh, infographic and how, yeah, how complex she realized that sex determination was. Um, I invite everyone to, to look it up. Um, it's called Beyond X, X and XY. And it is really interesting to spend some time reading the details. It's very small written here, so you probably cannot read anything. So I invite everyone to spend some time with it because it's really informative and it's uh, really um, eye-opening how the, the biological science behind sex usually is presented to us in a very um yeah in a very clear way there's this category there's that, that category but it can be way more complicated than that next slide please to complicate it a little bit more then uh, sex and gender interact with each other and they also interact uh with other factors such as uh uh, other biological factors and other sociocultural factors in very complex ways. 
So in practice, in practice, sex and gender are not uh, static categories, but very dynamic categories that are in constant dialogue with one another and with other uh, categories that, uh, or even uh, anatomical features. So it is uh, quite complicated there as well. One fascinating example is the experience of uh, reporting pain in Western cultures. Uh, and it's a good example of how sex and gender interact, but my colleague Melanie will dig up, uh, dig uh, a little bit more into that. Um, so the understanding of how sex and gender interact with each other and intersect with other biological and social cultural factors can enhance the quality of science, health and medicine in several ways. For example, it can uh, help researchers identify and address health disparities that affect different populations. It can develop more effective treatments and interventions that take into account sex and gender differences. It can improve the accuracy and generalizability hmm. <laughs> general of research findings. findings. And it can help healthcare providers to deliver a more personalized and more uh, patient-centered approach to care, which takes into consideration the unique needs and experiences of different individuals based on their different uh, attributes. Uh, so ultimately, and integrating uh, sex and gender into scientific research can contribute to uh, better health outcomes and improved quality of life for all individuals. Next slide, please. Why is it important to integrate um, the dimensions of sex and gender into medical research? It is different, it is uh, important in order to identify differences in health outcomes and treatment responses between diverse sexes, which in different fields of medicine can be uh, varying. It is helpful to avoid generalizing research findings from males to females and non-binary people, which is a tendency that has been happening and Melanie will, will uh, delve into that later. It is helpful also to understand how sex and gender impact disease manifestation and progression and to develop more personalized and effective treatments for everyone, men, women, trans and non-binary people. Uh, additionally, it is uh, important to promote health equity by provi providing tailored health care that is based on sex and gender differences when, when it is relevant, and to improve the overall quality of research by accounting for the impact of sex and gender on health outcomes. Additionally, it is important to integrate a diverse and broad understanding of sex and gender, as I said uh, earlier, so that it fosters the inclusion of everyone and contributes to an accurate representation of human diversity. This would help addressing health disparities and promoting ethical research practices while advancing uh, social progress and above all, enhance scientific rigor because human diversity should also be represented in, uh, in medical research. So this is a matter, the integration of sex and gender and furthermore, a diverse and broad understanding of the categories of sex and gender is a matter of the accuracy of data and is a matter of the quality of data and the research outcomes of, of um, medical research. And for, uh, now I will hand over to my colleague Melanie, which will continue with the next section. Okay, thank you, Monica, for uh, this uh, introduction and um, bringing us to the topic of sex and gender and the importance in in um, medicine and the way the complex way we are thinking about sex and gender and how sex and gender interact today, especially also in medicine. This is, of course, uh, nothing new, uh, the way we also arrived to that point, how we understand it today. So it's it's already a key part of the history of, of um, medicine, but that's uh, one where uh, women in particular um, were absent. So historically, women have been excluded from medical trials and uh, research studies 
which has had significant implications for the understanding and treatment of health uh, conditions. And this happened in a way that biological, um, biomedical research was long done on male animal models and cells, and medical trials were conducted with a, so to say, standard human, that is um, middle-aged white men in most cases, and that built a basis for what we call evidence-based medical knowledge. So differences, for instance, between and within sex and gender, and we heard that, that this is a really uh, complex matter, were left out in the interest of uh, homogeneity or were simply not analyzed. So, and this, this exclusion ha has been driven by a number of factors, including concerns about potential harms to women of childbearing age, as well as lack of recognition of the unique ways that women's bodies may respond to medical treatments. However, this exclusion has also meant that many medical treatments and interventions have been developed and tested primarily on men with limited understanding of how they may affect women differently. So sex classification uh, does not seem to be solely a matter of um, biology and sex categories uh, have changed throughout the history of science. Um, and what we also see then in the in the history of medicine, so to say, is that the anatomical knowledge of the sex body was largely informed by cultural understandings about gender differences. Next slide, please. And I want to give you some examples about this um, uh, last point about this cultural understanding has been inscribed in medical knowledge. And with these um, examples also within the, the, the images, uh, anatomical images um, that were also used uh, at that time. And there were supposedly universal representations of the human body in the um, 18th and 19th century and especially in these illustrations. But in fact, they were loaded with a lot of uh, cultural values and cultural understandings. So what you see on the left-hand side is um, an image by uh, images by uh, John uh, Barclay, who also gives this representation. And there was clearly also an emphasis on, on, on how this was represented. So it's also a matter of style, so to say, we would say nowadays. And also in the comparison to uh, animal skeletons, which would then highlight the distinctive features of the male uh, skeleton on the left-hand side and the female one on the right-hand side. And here you can see um, a little bit, I hope you can see it, that the male skeleton was compared to a horse because of its strength and the female one um, to an ostrich because of um, it represents somehow the large pelvis and long narrow neck. And what you can also see in comparison of these two skeletons is for, for example, the skulls. So the female head is very small compared to the male one and also the shoulders and um, is, uh, is different. So it is, there are really different representations about like the skeletons would look like. Uh, on the right-hand side on the top, um, you see a picture that is um, mentioned in um, this book. Um, I or uh, we, I would say Monica would agree, <laughs> would highly recommend um, to read from Thomas Lacour, Making Sex. So kind of the history of how sex was, how to say, invented. <laughs> throughout also the histories. And what you can see on that picture is um, actually female um, female body parts. So the uterus and vagina of a woman, woman were seen as uh, isomorphic to the penis. So that should actually represent a female body parts, but it's exactly kind of the opposite to what we've seen. Uh, for uh, for men, so also kind of cu the cultural understanding or the whole worldview uh, that makes this look like this represents uh, how the thinking was back then, and we're talking here about the uh, Renaissance. So the illustrators back then learned also how to depict the female genitalia from other pictures and not from na nature alone. Was was not like a the procedure in that time. So they took other pictures to reproduce uh, that kind of picture. And that's in fact an interesting 
procedure also um, when we reflect on our practices today, which I will uh, talk about a little bit later. I just uh, also included uh, also on the on the right hand side um, um, a different kind of um, source to explore this further, because it's not only that um, people directly involved in, in medical or science thought a lot about um, um, about sex and differences in in male and female sex, and this is um, very nicely and very entertaining <laughs> represented in Liv Strömqvist's graphic novel, um, where she showed where there were actually a lot of men that have been too interested in in uh, in in, the, in these differences and how they shaped also understandings about how the differences are made, which had an also really uh, real world effects on, on on women how this was um, seen so also a recommendation for this book so next slide please so so much about history so what about today so we see that while classifications of course have evolved historically it's not the way that we think the same way about sex differences as we did in the Renaissance. Um, they have an impact on how modern biomedical research practice is shaped and conducted. So we are not free of all these cultural understandings. They are still to a certain extent uh, inscribed in how we understand these differences. So gender can influence the therapies that are offered to patients. And sex is directly linked to certain bodily functions that have to do with health, um, as it refers to uh, the biological attributes that distinct male, female, and or intersex according to um, the function that derive from the from chromosomes, reproductive organs, specific hormones, or environmental factors. And also, in a way, was Monica described how they interact in, in that is that um, uh, sex bias can lead to a gendered perspective of diseases. Um, some a, a very prominent example in that is heart disease, which has for a long time been primarily understood or seen as the male disease. And um, standards have been created um, based on a kind of male um, on, on males and the and the, the outcomes of studies also on that. So uh, women and gender diverse individuals were often missed or underdiagnosed. Um, I think this is also very known that heart attacks and so on um, and the the symptoms which are shown uh, differently uh, were were not seen in the same way also. And this uh, led and could lead also to health disparities and inequalities in healthcare. Next slide, please. And this is um, the, under, uh, the example Monica mentioned before about uh, pain. And uh, we want to make you uh, aware of this um, website. You, on the right-hand side, this is a, a QR code. You, so just follow the dinosaur to this uh, really interesting uh, project where you can find a couple of really interesting examples about how this happened and what has happened and also what steps can be taken. So when it comes to, to pain, especially chronic pain, sex and gender interact and affect all parts of the pain pathway. So from signaling to perception to expression and, and uh, treatment. Um, and this has then also to do, of course, with gender. So understood as the more social, uh, societal, social component um, here is that um, men and women are also raised to express pain differently, uh, which may also uh, modify their biological response to pain and their willingness to report it and also how to how they report it. And um, also when it comes to um, biology, there have been uh, differences found also in testosterone, uh, for instance, and estrogens that are um, connected to that. And while in both cases, the result is uh, increased sensitivity to pain, there are still differences. So the pathways are different. And this could mean that uh, this could have an implication for um, drug discovery of drug uh, development. 
Um, so further research is also then needed here. Next slide, please. So what is suggested on the website for this case study in how to gender these innovations is that um, studying the underlying biological mechanisms of pain in female typical bodies and male typical bodies um, may also promote sex specific treatments. So also a closer look into that um, would be necessary and how this influence um, um, all that, uh, as mentioned, maybe to design sex-tailored pain treatments. Uh, the second innovation that suggests is that studying how sex and gender interact and how sex and sex interact um, is also uh, would also be necessary to, to consider, as I said, because uh, men, women, boys, girls are socialized uh, also differently when it comes to pain. And this also impacts the sensitivity to pain and the reporting of pain. And um, yeah, also then um, all the reporting also when it comes to uh, the study, uh, studying pain. And the third innovation mentioned is the understanding how gender impacts the reporting and treatment of pain, uh, especially when it comes to these uh, gendered stereotypes. And um, also when it comes to the healthcare professionals in, in, in dealing that, how they kind of uh, see pain differently or the reporting of pain differently in men, in men and uh, women, for instance. Um, the second dinosaur that appeared on the slide is um, leads to a very interesting webinar we had previously, which is on this gendered innovation. So on this um, project and also highly recommended to look into that also for more examples um, on, in, the, in that uh, direction. Next slide, please. So today also sex and gender differences are documented for major diseases such as heart disease, cancer, stroke, Alzheimer's, uh, COVID-19, um, as well as the efficiency and side effect of uh, drugs. And what you can see here is an overview of recent research on women's health and sex-related differences in disease, which can be found on the um, Nature website. So this is a Nature collection where you can find many studies that shows uh, how how differences actually make a difference in a way that this difference needs to be considered to have a better outcomes and to do um, better, stronger research that considers all that. So that's also highly recommended to visit this website and um, uh, yeah, to see what or to see that there's actually already a lot of things going on in 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 diseases, uh, in in considering gender, sex and gender, and when it comes to disease. Uh, next slide, please. So, what is also, of course, a topic for today's. Um, knowledge production and especially also medical biomedical knowledge production it was it's um, described more in the social science perspective at the datafication of health and the ways how we categorize uh, sex and gender and how we use that also in research so um, this is a picture of the of a chapter from the book data feminism and um, I think the headline here is telling a lot already what gets counted counts. So what with the kind of categories or classifications that we um, made, this is then all that, that we see and then we count and include them also um, in, in research. So categorizations and classifications, I use that interchangeably for uh, also today, <laughs> take a central role in uh, data-based knowledge production. So in speaking of what gets counted counts means here that data must be classified to be processed processed, and it, uh, it must be put in some kind of category by the time that information becomes uh, data or is translated into data, it's already then being classified. And this raises the question, who is counted, who gets in, who is involved, who benefits then by the end from a technology and who is maybe overlooked. So what's, what's the missing data then in all that? 
I also want to point to two um, other books, uh, since this is a training, I guess, uh, further readings <laughs> um, uh, might be of interest to you. So one is by Booker and Star, Sorting Things Out. And in this books, a book, the author explores, authors explore how classification systems shape our understanding of the world and how they can have unintended consequences. And um, they also illustrate how classification system can reinforce existing power structures and marginalize certain groups. And categories like um, gender, race, sexuality, class, we're focusing today on, on sex and gender, but of course there are other categories, have become key classifications for the study of society and in understanding the reproduction also of a social order within society. But also how we how we see all that through through this lens of, of uh, categorization or classification, for instance, the ICD, so the um, International um, Classification of Diseases, a statistical is a st statistical classification, and um, diseases that are statistically rele relevant are included here. And in this book, they show. Um, in a really good way, how this changed also over time with every new version, uh, how we changed also our classifications or understandings of diseases. And the third book you can see here on the slide is from um, Epstein called Inclusion, the Politics of Differences in Medical Research. And um, here the author um, looks into how medical research has historically excluded certain groups, particularly women and, and people of color from clinical trials and other studies. And um, the author argues that this exclusion has led to a lack of understanding about how different groups experience disease and respond to treatment. And uh, all these categories I, I have mentioned um, have also taken um, kind of a new, uh, um, new importance, so to say, within modern medicine especially with data biomedical and health research. So um, yeah. altogether, the takeaway from, um, from these three books um, uh, would be what gets counted, classified, ca um, categorized counts, get included or not, transformed and reproduced in biomedical research and development. So we always need also to reflect in, in how we measure things and define things and how we classify them. And uh, next slide, please. Um, to give you an example about that, I want to uh, point you here to um, a paper uh, coming from, from our team, <laughs> and um, which you can find on the right-hand side, calling Moving Back to the Future of Big Data-Driven Research, Reflecting on the Social and Genomics, why we then ask uh, on the example of, this, uh, of a large-scale um, genome-wide association studies on same-sex sexual behavior, how the social is um, inscribed, reproduced, included also uh, there in also in uh, doing research. And this illustrates then also how science and society are co-produced in research and how underlying social classifications and categorizations can or uh, be incorporated into knowledge production. So that was not only a, a practice, so to say, back then, it's also happening also in, in today's research. And for what's interesting also here to point out is that, uh, and this is all mentioned also in the in the study, that the authors have made um, a, a couple of reductive assumptions, um, which is mentioned in the, in the limitations of these studies. But for instance, um, what you can see here lighted, they acknowledge that the research is based on a binary sex system with exclusions of non-compliant groups, as the authors report that they have been dropping a drop individuals from the studies whose biological sex and self-identified sex gender did not match. So um, both cate uh, categorizing sexual orientations uh, is also mainly done here, so to say, and practice rather than uh, attraction or desire. And in building it on normative assumptions about sexuality, which means in that case, gender binary and heteronormativity, 
which could also be problematic at sexual behavior is diverse and does not necessarily correspond with such assumptions. And I wanted, uh, I wanted to use these examples to show that um, although there is research on the on the um, on the biology, so to say, or the, the genetics of of that um, going on, but there is still also a social practice in a way that decisions are made in how uh, certain groups get in or excluded. And I think in that example, it's really interesting that in a research about uh, sexuality, groups that are outside, so to say, or exclude, seen excluded from the gender binary are excluded to, to learn about the complexity of sexuality. So um, that was really short about uh, this study. So next slide, please. Um, so let's uh, look a little bit to tomorrow, but, um, but uh, I mean, in that way, tomorrow is happening today already. <laughs> and uh, so a uh, big data and artificial intelligence in medicine. So with this increasing datafication of, of health, um, big amounts of digital data are generated inside and outside the medical context. For example, health records, um, variable data from smartwatches and so on, and also cohort data and so on. Um, and this data is of course being also reused. And this is in terms of large amount of data, it's estimated that up to 30% of the entire world's stored data is health related data. So um, really a large amount. And this is of course often used, secondarily used um in this research and then treated so to say often as raw data and um yeah, yeah for social scientists this uh, is doesn't exist in that way so raw data is an oxymoron is one of the kind of uh, famous quotes here also meaning that data is never produced free of theoretical framings methodological decisions and uh, technological um conditions so building on that data is never kind of uh, built on this raw data, especially in further uses or reuses of data because this data have been collected in a certain way and is then merged also in big database research with other sources of data which require harmonization. And here uh, we are again with uh, how decisions are made, what's, how, it, how data gets harmonized. Um, and we see also here different developments or transformation going on while we see a strong um, tendency also to open up and to consider more diversity and to include more groups in these practices of data reuse and harmonization. Of course, you have to work then with the kind of data you have. So we see then also that we are going back to the, to the usual categories in um, in that way. And how this data is also used is also then linked to technological advancements in the medical field, in particular uh, artificial intelligence applications, which means here that, of course, to build AI, it needs to be trained with certain data. And so if you feed AI with this data and the categorizations and assumptions we are using on that, of course, AI is then for, um, working with it. And um, so um, I used also an, an image here, uh, I think which uh, shouldn't be the future in doctors focusing um, more and more on data and um, not so much on a patient, but also using an image again to remind you on what was said earlier about how, how things got reused. Um, hundreds of years ago by uh, producing new images based on other images. And I think we should reflect also in how we produce data, health data or, or knowledge, building on other kinds of data and how this is uh, how this is then um, used and which kind of decisions are made and that are then ultimately also used to train artificial intelligence. So um, the message here would be that the, with the emergence of these big data sets, algorithms, medical AI, um, these imaginaries or understanding of standards or standardized bodies and the categories that are used or ignored um, 
become even more important also here. And the next slide, please. To give you also an idea that, um, of course, there is research and awareness on, on bias, also uh, gender bias, but then it's still complex. <laughs> These topics, bias is not the same as bias in most of the cases. So what we want to have in for artificial intelligence is um, understanding differences better in a kind of strive for more personalized or um, medicine and to consider that as, as as mentioned for the development of treatments and diagnosis and healthcare in general for the well-being of the patients but what we should avoid is of course um, this uh, stigma discrimination under representation of uh, certain societal groups so there needs to be a, a good balance in producer to produce also um, better outcomes and with that i hand over back to monica thank you melanie next slide please now i'm going to um to show a few um papers also for further reading all of them have their associated QR code without dinosaur <laughs> to, so that you can uh, have a look at them and read them more thoroughly. But I will give some insights on the integration of sex and gender that has already been done in the field of uh, nephrology and, and, and transplant research. And this particular paper um, that tries to integrate a gender perspective into nephrology, starts by stating that the field of nephrology has largely ignored this gender perspective approach and that there's not many studies that have been investigating um, scientific evidence in this regard. Nonetheless, there is uh, they refer to a recent study that has been conducted in Spain where they show that chronic kidney disease shows differences between genders in both prevalence and rate of progression. Additionally, also in treatment and uh, health outcomes. So understanding the differences that gender brings into the field is relevant because there are uh, reported differences already. Um, as they state, chronic kidney disease shows differences in prevalence according to gender because there is high, uh, higher prevalence in women um, in evolution because there is a faster progression in men than in women and prognosis. Young women on dialysis increase their non-cardiovascular mortality and lose the survival advantage over men in general population. Um, this greater prevalence of chronic kidney disease in women may be due to uh, the uh, longer life expectancy of women. They achieve thus uh, the risk age of uh, chronic kidney disease, or it could be also due to the inaccuracy of the formulas that estimate certain um, measures certain indicators that measure how well the kidneys are functioning, such as glomerul, glomerul filtration rate. So if there is uh, inaccuracy of the formulas uh, applied to women, that could be a source of bias that is introduced there, and that could account for this greater prevalence of chronic kidney disease in women. Um, they also state in this study that the application of a gender perspective improves the scientific rigor and the reproducibility of clinical trials by identifying and addressing gender biases that can exist in um, the design and the conduct and analysis of clinical trials. So integrating this perspective of, uh, in particular, the case of they, they talk about uh, they use the term gender, can lead to a more accurate and reliable result when it comes to understanding the different populations based on uh, gender. So this uh, perspective may provide clues that could lead also, they state, to new pharmacological targets and treatment strategies. 
um, by identifying uh, differences that could be gender specific and that could be important to identify um, when it comes to uh, disease mechanisms, risk factors and treatment responses. So they uh, conduct here a study trying to, um, to um, invite people to integrate this perspective in a field that they identify is lacking this perspective. Next slide, please. This second study that I would like to um, to present, it's called the underrepresentation of women in recent landmark kidney trials. The gender gap prevails. So the title is already telling us uh, a result of their of their study. There is the underrepresentation of uh, women, and they focus also on uh, on the. Um, on the analysis of how certain medications are um, have shown significant benefits for kidney disease patients, but there are concerns about potential sex uh, differences when it comes to the effects of these agents. And these um, potential differences are have not been sufficiently studied. So this stems, as they state in this in this study, from the underrepresentation of women in clinical trials, including cardiovascular and nephrology trials. So this underrepresentation of uh, women in uh, clinical trials leads to insufficient data when it comes to assessing the um, potential sex disparate effects of pharmacological agents uh, that treat kidney kidney patients, kidney disease patients. Um, they also state that there's some differences when it comes to uh, gender, because women may perceive more harm from trial participation and are generally, uh, they state, more risk adverse under stress and have been shown to be more reluctant than men to participate in clinical trials. Um, additionally, there is some exclusion criteria, um, different ones than the uh, Melanie was stating, but uh, in, in this case, they talk about people of childbearing age may be excluded from the study design due to the potential for pregnancy and or breastfeeding. And um, they state how it is necessary to develop a gender sensitive recruitment uh, toolbox for including patients and investigators that can engage in um, engagement and communication strategies that are gendered. So they consider that um, they need to introduce somehow this, undesir <laughs> this desirable bias when it comes to uh, fostering more inclusion of uh, women in clinical trials. And they develop um, some strategies to bolster the recruitment of women in clinical trials and to ensure the adequate representation of women in clinical trials and to identify potential gender differences in treatment efficacy and safety. Uh, and um, here we have some um, uh, the, the figure that appears in their paper that shows some of the strategies that they are um, fostering. For example, I will highlight some. They talk about how it is important to uh, produce recruitment strategies that are targeting women and gender diverse individuals. They state the need of including more women and gender diverse investigators and or coordinators on the study team. Um, they highlight the importance of incorporating input from previous women and gender diverse individuals involved in or declining involvement in clinical trials. Um, and they think that it would be uh, beneficial to also ensure flexible clinical appointment schedules for on-site visits to facilitate people with caring uh, obligations, the, the participation of, uh, of people with caring obligations. Yes. Um, they also have some um, 
some recommendations for regulatory bodies that I find quite interesting. The first one says that they would uh, invite regulatory bodies to require reporting of results based on or stratified by sex and gender in subgroup analysis. And this relates to what Melanie was saying before that what gets counted counts. So it is uh, important also that from regulatory bodies, there is this um, this push uh, to, uh, towards um, investigators to also have to report uh, um, the results in a sex or gender stratified way, because what gets counted counts, and what does not get counted doesn't count. So this is um, important also. They also talk about the importance of standardizing the collection of biologic and sex and gender identity reporting, which is not standardized and it is creating a lot of um, confusion in the when it comes to building databases, for example, now before we were talking about the datafication of of uh, of health, it it is um, complicated to um, to use or to analyze also how um, certain databases are balanced or unbalanced when it comes to sex and gender because the way of reporting sex and gender is not standardized, and the definitions of sex and gender are um, a bit fluctuating. So then it would be beneficial to standardize this collection of sex and gender when it comes to when it comes to reporting. And they also consider that it would be important to increase the representation of women and minorities in leadership and decision-making bodies for regulatory agencies and pharmaceutical companies. Next slide, please. The third uh, study that I would like to present is um, a review that tried to, well, that, uh, that analyzed the use of sex and gender consideration in transplant research. They conducted a broad uh, review, literature review, um, um, analyzing the use of the concepts of sex and gender in the field of uh, transplant research. This is the study that I mentioned at the beginning that stated that um, more than half of the, of the papers that they reviewed were using uh, the concepts of sex and gender interchangeably. So there is already a, a, a terminologically ter terminological confusion uh, in the field of transplant research when it comes to using sex and gender. It's uh, completely interchangeable. 57.5% um, of the studies were just using both uh, in an interchangeable way. Um, they uh, are worried by this outcome because they uh, know that in the context of solid organ, tissue and cell transplantation, the sex of donors and transplant candidates and recipients has been shown to influence, to influence health outcomes. But if then we don't have the appropriate data to analyze this, it, uh, it is worrying because then the, the studies that are talking about sex uh, is, are confounding sex and gender uh, constantly. So it is worrying that this there is this lack of uh, analytical accuracy. They also say that there's uh, gender differences that can be observed in organ donation patterns, in access to the waiting list, uh, in access, of trans, uh, access to transplantation, and patient participation. Um, and they also state how sometimes both sex and gender can be relevant. For example, um, they um, consider that it is uh, both sex and gender are um, relevant when it comes to interpreting the observation that female kidney transplant recipients experience a higher risk of allograft failure than males. So uh, why is this that um, it can happen? So there's both reasons, uh, biological reasons and also uh, behavioral uh, reasons that can be uh, attributed to some gender stereotypes. So they say that um, members of the female sex may be at higher risk of experiencing immune mediated graft injuries as a result of immune sensitization than those of the male sex 
because of possible pregnancies or stronger immune reactivity or different biological phenomena. And on the other hand, uh, gender is also important because, um, as they state, women could be um, uh, more caring about the healing process, and also they adhere more to immune suppression. They are more uh, constant when it comes to taking their medication. So then these are factors that are also affecting their risk of complications. So they consider that it is important the careful consideration of sex and gender in um, allotransplantation and donation research that can help outline personalized strategies and to um, aid decisions on organ allocation and to improve transplant outcomes. Um, these uh, considerations can also highlight disparities in care and optimize patient experience and inform policy changes. That can uh, that can benefit uh, uh, patients ultimately. Next slide, please. So after these many considerations that we have presented you today, um, what can be done? Um, so we refer again to this uh, project, Gendered Innovations, which is quite, uh, yeah, it is very interesting. It is quite useful when it comes to providing with uh, with useful information. And um, we invite you to go to their website and to have a look. They have um, a part that, go, that I think it's called rethinking concepts. And they invite to uh, precisely this, to rethink, to, um, to uh, assess critically the concepts that we are using in, in medical research so that we can be more accurate when we are uh, using certain terms and also uh, to um, assess when certain terms can, can need to be used because uh, not always the category of sex will have uh, will be useful to, to know. It depends on the field of uh, medicine that we are um, understanding. Sometimes it might not be important. For example, they put the example, I, I like this one very much, of the um, knee replacement that they, some company was um, uh, marketing uh, a knee prosthesis uh, for women and a knee prosthesis for men, and they are they were uh, wondering if sex here is a factor. Maybe uh, sex was being used as a proxy for other things such as height, weight, etc. Maybe the the categories of weight and height would be more useful to know which prosthesis a person needs than the category of sex. Sex is just some kind of like mega classification that we can use to mean okay shorter people that weight less but what you need is actual the actual height and the actual weight of the person not the sex so this is just a, one example where we can we may we may not need the category of sex so it is also important to assess in which um, moment um it is necessary that's why also we like to talk about situated knowledge because uh, the the categories that we use need to be situated in particular practices. So here, this is an invitation to think and rethink the concepts, the background assumptions about sex and gender that we are using. And we can uh, just try to ask ourselves certain questions to assess if we are using certain background assumptions. For example, like uh, do researchers in our team assume certain gender roles? Are there certain gender roles in, in our lab, on our research team? Um, are we as researchers aware of possible gender biases in our field? Are we, do we know which kind of gender biases are present in our field of expertise? Um, do we as researchers assume here in this particular study that gender and sex are binary or are we open to um, trying to analyze it in a different way? Do we have the data to analyze it in a different way? That's another question, um, but that is worth ask, be, being asked. Um, do we as researchers take into consideration here the interactions between sex and gender and how, how they might affect certain health outcomes? So yeah, 
these can be uh, questions to ask uh, ourselves so that we can try to integrate critically the categories of sex and gender into, into research. And with that, next slide. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thank you. We are done with it. Thank you very much, both of you. Throughout this webinar, um, we all have learned about um, the real complexity of the integration of sex and gender uh, into medical research. I mean, it's not just, um, okay, I'm going to conduct a research, I'm going to include male and females, then I'm going to provide disgregate analysis, and that's it. I have that. No, it's so much complex than that. This is really important to uh, be aware of this because we all and all the um, scientists and researchers want, want to do it better. So it's really important to as you have highlighted, no? first of all, to think and state what is really relevant for my particular research before starting the research project. What should I include? Sex, gender, both, intersex, what is relevant for my topic, for the topic that I want to uh, analyze or research. And then also, as, as you stated too, uh, somehow think about that in each phase of the research progression, not only at the beginning, not only at the end, uh, to do it uh, kind of accurate all along the, the process. And how necessary it is to prepare before the design of the research to avoid sex or gender biases, but also all along the research. And all of this, of course, to conduct better, uh, more reliable and more accurate uh, research. That's the our goal, the goal of all the scientists and all the researchers. So PBMRI Eric regularly share content and updates on the importance of sex and gender in medical research from their LC experts um, via the BBM RI ERIC newsletter. You can sign in up on the website, www.bbmri-eric.eu. Um, you will also find the LC knowledge base and help desk on the website. If you enjoyed this recording, do share it with interested friends and colleagues and leave us a review or comment on whichever platform you tune in via it helps to reach new audiences watch out our uh, for the next lc episode via bbmri eric socials on twitter on linkit thank you for joining us and i will now open the floor up for questions and <laughs>